asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're answering your listener questions. You know what, buddy? This is an Ask How to Money Monday episode where we're going to get to five different listener questions, including a question from a listener who is wondering if he should handle his personal finances like businesses handle their finances. Another listener is wondering if his investment dollars, whether or not they are safe. And yet another is wondering how he can help out his parents, in particular when the financial roles begin to reverse, when they begin to shift a little bit. We've got those three questions, plus a few, uh, a couple others, two more during today's episode. Yeah. All right. Before we get to the, these questions, Matt, we've got some good ones. I wanted to mention my, my neighbor, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, she is 96 years old and she is still incredibly spry, which is just gives me hope for the future <laughs> that I too, if I live a clean and healthy life, maybe I'll maybe I'll hit that same point at, at some point in the future. Have you talked about her longevity with her? No. I, What's I, her secret? Is it like uh, one Reese's peanut butter cup every single day? <laughs> I feel like there's different stories about this French lady eats three baguettes every... <laughs> I do need to ask. <laughs> there's like yeah. all sorts of weird dietary practices of the uh, long living. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll report back when I find that out, but that's not right. what I want to talk about necessarily that she's, that she's like, what you eating lady? <laughs> uh, let me, what's your diet like? But she's like the, the sweetest. And I went over there the, the other day to help her. She'd bought something and she needed help getting out of the car, setting it up. Nice. And so I went over there and, and did that for her. But she, uh, we were talking about how basically she went into the 
store to buy the item because she said when I looked it up online, I realized it was more expensive than it was in the store. What? She's 96, man. Dude. And she could have had it dropped off at her doorstep and done the easy thing. She still went the sweat equity route and opted to go in the store to purchase the product to save those extra dollars. I love that. That is awesome. I could tell just talking to her, like she knows the value of a dollar. She was even talking about, you know, we got new trash cans uh, from the city. (laughs) And I know you're not happy about it because you spent money on these trash cans, like on your own trash cans. Well, I wish they would have implemented this like a couple years ago before we dropped a couple hundred bucks. Well, you want to... All right. Hold on. Let me me go finish. You finish your story and then I've got a little tangent. So so she basically said, hey, they, they... proactively dropped off the trash cans and she's like i called the city i'm going for the smaller size because they're charging every single month based on the size of trash mm-hmm. can you have yep. and so she she cares that much about three dollars a month which i think is awesome like she understands the value of a dollar and i think a lot of us in our society like we we should be a little more like miss betty we should understand the value of a dollar when it comes to buying stuff in store if you're going to save money when it comes to those monthly recurring expenses sure. like three dollars <laughs> is nothing to sneeze at she knows that and we should all kind of uh, join join forces with her in that realization. We ought to take some tips from the silent generation. Yeah. That's that depression era frugality right. kicking in for sure. But on that note, so I, it turns out that I can still use our bigger trash cans. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So our neighbor actually called up and as long as it has the bar on the trash can... So, so functionally, they're exactly the same because they're, they're trying to standardize the trash cans so that the guys, the folks who are emptying the trash into the truck, that they can just swing it over. Uh, so I get that. Again, I just wish that it was something that they would have implemented years ago. Yeah. Well, hey, the, to, the fact that you get to keep them yeah, is helpful. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it sucks. Honestly, it's, it's I feel bad about the amount of trash that we produce, but there's a big difference between a single 96-year-old That's true. Uh, living by herself. We literally talked about that. She was as like, opposed to, if I still had kids at home, yeah, I'd be sticking with this trash can. Exactly. But, yeah. yeah, as opposed to a family of six under a single roof. Yeah. But always nice to hang out with my 96-year-old neighbor and just see like how her frugality, her intentionality with money, like it just, it, it helps steal my resolve, right? To do to do the same and to to not be so flippant, even when it comes to $3 things or, or taking the easy route. And granted, like it's not that paying for convenience never makes sense, but I I love kind of her philosophy and the fact that she's like willing to like uh, walk the talk. Totally, yeah. Well, the fact is, I bet that she doesn't have many side hustles going on, right? right. <laughs> and so for her, her time it kind of does equal money. And so yeah. if she can expend, use, utilize some of that time in order to save a dollar here or there, uh, I think that's awesome. Yep. But uh, let's quickly introduce the beer you and I are enjoying during this episode. This is one that you pulled from your personal stash. So thank you for that, man, uh, for us to enjoy here on the show. But this is a supplication by Russian River. Really looking forward to enjoying this one. And we will share our thoughts at the end of the episode. For sure. All right. But for now, let's move on to listener questions. And if you have a question for the show, we'd love to take it on an upcoming episode. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask for the simple instructions for how to record a voice memo on your phone and send it our way. It's pretty easy, but you could probably figure it out <laughs> without looking at the instructions. And you can just send it over to us at howtomoneypod at gmail.com. But Matt, let's get to our, our first question of this episode. This one is about how to help your folks out. Uh, financially as they're aging. Hello, man, Joel. This is Ryan from Detroit, Michigan, and I have a question that I think you might be able to help me with. So my dad is looking to retire. He's self-employed and so does not have any formal retirement. And my mom is in pretty poor health. So they do have a rental property that they use for monthly income. It's a relatively small amount, but I was thinking it would be a better idea if they sold the house to me instead of gifting it to me when they pass away. That way, they could have a pile of cash to use and invest for my dad's retirement or use it to pay off their own mortgage or whatever debts they may have. 
So let me know what you guys think of this. And next time you're in Detroit, the beers are on me. Ooh, Ryan, uh, we might actually take you up on that offer one of these days. But first of all, I love hearing some birds <laughs> in the background, like chirping in the background there. Like I picture him in his front yard. It's, it kind of sounds like he's out there working in the yard uh, kind of thing. But yeah, uh, taking a hike. Yeah, yeah. I just I love the sound of nature. Maybe we should consider recording while we're maybe sitting on top of a mountain or something like that. Joe. Oh, I think that's a great idea. Uh, and Ryan, you also you mentioned the the health of, health of your mom. I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that. I think I'm guessing that might have something to do with your dad's desire to retire for y'all to kind of spend some more quality time together. Um, but I love hearing that you are thinking proactively about how it is that you can best help your folks. And specifically, you're wondering if uh, whether or not you should buy their house, their rental property or their investment property. Uh, and that's actually, we, we think that's going to depend on a few different factors yeah. that, that you want to keep in mind. At first, I heard this question and I didn't hear the rental part of the question. And I was thinking, you know what? A reverse mortgage might make the most sense for your folks, but you can't do that on a rental property. So that doesn't even really bear discussion. And, and it, it, I will say really quickly, a lot of the, the reverse mortgage is not a slam dunk either for lots of folks, but we can talk about that at a future date. Yeah. Uh, but Some other time. Yeah, but things that Ryan <laughs> should consider. One, can you afford it? And I'm guessing if you're asking the question, you can, right? Or you probably wouldn't be like, hey, should I do this? But I don't have any money. But like, that's that's one question to ask. Also, you need to ask, does this make financial sense for you? Yeah. Because even if you can afford to buy this house from them, like, is this a good move for you well, and for your financial future? Well, I think there are, there can be varying degrees of whether or not he is financially prepared or in a position to yeah. afford this house, right? Yeah. Like, there's a difference between what the bank might say, you know, they punch in the numbers and like, oh, it spits out yeah. a yes or no answer. Okay, look, looks like you qualified, as opposed to Ryan, according to his own standards, feeling like he's prepared to where he would have the ability to comfortably uh, afford that house. Yeah, comfortably is an important word in there because you could maybe afford it, but still feel like you're over a barrel financially sure. speaking, and that would not be fun. Mm-hmm. So are you doing this purely as an act of service, Ryan? Or like, do you see this home as a helpful part of your financial future? And th- those are a lot of questions to consider, but they're really, really important. And it's more than okay to sacrifice your finances, at least to a certain degree, in order to help your parents. Matt and I, we would do the same for our parents. We love them. And so yeah. there are things that we would do that might not be in our best interest, right? Because that's what you do as a family. Families can have more uh communist tendencies, right? Uh, because they can support each other in ways that you you might not do just in, 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 to a stranger that you meet walking down the street. Yeah, yeah. On a, on a micro familial level, yes. we're all kind of participating in socialism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is totally fine, right? My wife gets all of my money. What's up with that? <laughs> well, she, she, is that, is that she like does so much for you, Matt. Super misogynist for me, to, <laughs> for me to... But I mean, honestly, like that is how families work. And granted, we're talking about extended families here. Uh, with, my kids don't do know, anything. Matt. Yeah, they do so very little. They're total freeloaders, right? Right now, yes. but that's that's how it works. They don't Within deserve families. free rent, but they get, but they get it. <laughs> and, and but still, that doesn't mean that buying their rental is the best option for sure, you. Yeah. And so, it, it, it the chance it might be, it might be, but there are just so many factors at play. And if you don't see yourself holding on to the house long term, then it's probably not the best idea. Even if you're thinking that it'd be the nice thing to do as like a dutiful son. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But assuming this does check a lot of boxes for Ryan's personal finances, um, and this also gets a you know a nice lump sum in your parents' hands to cover the everyday expenses, well, you know this could be a potential win-win situation. Because one of the perks of your parents selling directly to you is that they'll be able to save a solid, healthy 6% since they won't have to pay any realtor fees. I think you'll still likely want to hire a real estate closing attorney to make sure that you are all buttoned up from a legal standpoint. Man, but the ability to sidestep one of the most costly expenses associated with selling a house, 
that's really, really attractive. Uh, it would also make me want to consider <laughs> buying a home that my parents own, Ryan. Um, and plus, your parents, they might like the fact that their son is taking the reins on that rental. You know, They might like the fact that it's you who is stepping in and is giving them the ability to simplify and then mm-hmm. to reduce the responsibilities. Like I said, in, in order to kind of focus on maybe the things that matter a little more uh, in their later years, that might be a, a bit higher in, on, on their list of priorities. Sure. Yeah. And to know that you're getting the financial benefit of owning this rental property, that is staying in the family, that can provide like some some peace of mind that can actually make, make them feel better about the way this is going down. But one of the downsides to moving forward with this transaction, though, is the fact that this is a non-arm's length transaction, which is what occurs when there's a sale between two parties who have a personal or professional relationship. And obviously, with y'all being family, this is most definitely a personal relationship. And this doesn't mean... It qualifies. It qualifies. (laughs) It qualifies, right? You you are related very closely. And this doesn't mean that this sale would be illegal, but it's going to face more scrutiny by the IRS and to make sure that there isn't really any funny business going on. And typically that would look like a below market sale, which would be considered a gift of equity. But it, it doesn't sound like this is going to be an issue for you guys since both parties are, are likely expecting the sale to occur at fair market value. But if you're looking to get a mortgage on this property, there would be uh, likely be additional requirements from your lender because of the fact that it's known as this non-arms length transaction. And it just muddies the water a little. It's definitely doable, but it's important to mention that. And it's important to mention that your folks also are going to owe capital gains tax. So they will receive a tax bill from the sale of the rental property as well. Sure. Yeah. Whether they sell it to you or whether whether they sell it uh, open market. Uh, But if you're planning to pay with cash, Ryan, then those additional lender requirements, those won't be an issue. But Joel, you you mentioned fair market value. Uh, I think that could actually potentially complicate matters because Ryan, you might think that you are on the same page as your folks as to what the house is worth, but man, you know, they, they might turn around and say that, you know, what they think it's worth is actually a good bit more, especially if they've owned the house for a while. Maybe they have like some sort of emotional connection to the property. So if that were to be the case, there could be the potential for some family strife uh, that would arise, which would obviously that would probably be the last thing that you'd want. And plus, you never know, like a buyer actually could come in and offer 10, 15 percent more than what they're actually listing for, you know, meaning that they would end up leaving money on the table by selling it directly to you. Anytime you're removing the open market from the ability to take a look at this property, like I imagine like you're talking about your neighbor being 96 years old. Well, that same neighbor has a son who lives across the street, like basically right across the street from you. Her whole whole family lives on my street, man. (laughs) And so imagine if uh, somebody there, you know, on that, on the house that your parents own on that street. Well, let's say that somebody has parents that that live over there and they're thinking, man, if we could buy that rental property, that's kind of sitting there. It's cute. That would totally work for us. That would allow us to take care of mom and dad. That's the kind of unique personal situation that could cause someone to pay substantially more than what most folks would consider paying for that house. Sometimes it just depends on market conditions and people are willing to pay more because there's just so little inventory, right? And so you might might see that there's more people interested than you thought. And so, yeah, you agreeing to an off-market price with your folks could potentially, depending again on specific market conditions, could result in them making less money than they otherwise might be able to. And considering kind of what's going on with their finances, that's important 
to, to think about. And it does make this a trickier situation with, with both of you guys being on, on both sides of the transaction. Mm-hmm. So maybe what would be best is for you to not purchase this property. And it might make, make more sense for you, uh, for you and your parents to be on the same side of the transaction. What I mean by that is that like where, where you're basically both doing everything you can to maximize how much they can sell that house for. Yeah. And specifically for you, that can mean heading over there to help out with some repairs, doing some of the updates that need to take place. You don't even have to necessarily do them yourself, but hiring the right people to do the stuff. But yeah, putting in some sweat equity to to boost the curb appeal so that they're able to get top dollar when they do sell. And I like this approach because there are just fewer conflicts of interest at play. You might not be taking on a house that you're not necessarily keen to own. Maybe you don't want to be a landlord. Who knows? And then you're working together to achieve the same goal to, to basically maximize their income from the sale so that they have a bigger lump sum to draw on for these retirement years. Yeah, I really like this as well because this is a way for Ryan to participate and help his folks out without you know, like washing his hands completely of yeah. the situation. But it's just, I have a tough time that, because yeah, there's a conflict of interest when you've, <laughs> you want your parents to get the absolute top dollar. And anytime you buy a piece of real estate, the deal happens when you make the purchase. Yeah. And so you are always looking for that deal. And so it's just a, it's such a tightrope to walk. And it really does just kind of muddy the water. So I, I really like the, with you both being on the same side, working as a team, pulling together, as opposed to feeling like there's some, there's a tension there where you're both pulling on, tugging on, you know, opposite ends of the rope. Well, and the, the truth is it might not be best for either party. And so tugging in one direction together might be the best for both of you at the same time. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it could make sense from that lack of conflict of interest standpoint, but also just from like the best final result, the best end result for everybody involved. But Matt, we've got more questions to get to, including uh, one from a listener who's worried he's not saving enough for his kids. We're going to get to that and more right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money 
I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Joel, we are back from the break, and let's get to our next question, which is from a listener who not only has the entrepreneurial spirit, but she's also got some money in the bank. Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is Angeliki, and I live just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a longtime listener of your podcast. Here's my question for you. I have an old employer 401k that holds both traditional and Roth dollars. I now own my own business and want to move this old retirement account. Moving forward, my current retirement accounts include a Vanguard Roth IRA, which I have been contributing to for years, and a Vanguard Solo 401k with both traditional and Roth options available. I established this account at the start of owning my own business. I'd love to use Capitalize to roll over my old 401k dollars into these new accounts. After starting the process, I realized Capitalize recommended rolling old 401ks into IRAs only. With that being said, do you recommend moving my old 401k dollars into IRAs versus my new solo 401k? And if so, would I need another IRA in addition to my already established Roth IRA to house both my pre-tax and post-tax contributions? Thank you so much for taking my question. Oh, Matt, it seems like Angeliki wants all the retirement accounts. <laughs> like Pokemon Go, got to catch them all, something like that. Is that is that what she's going for here? Is there a retirement account that she doesn't have? <laughs> I am curious. I want to know. She didn't uh, mention HSA, so no. maybe. Yeah. All right. So, and I'm not sure. Well, that's something we talk about a lot. But I love that she mentioned Capitalize. Like, they can make these rollovers a whole lot easier. But the you know we're, we're going to talk about, maybe it, it doesn't make the most sense for you to go with Capitalize based on kind of what you're trying to achieve. But for a lot of people, going with Capitalize, to do a rollover makes a lot of sense, largely because it's completely free and they do the adulting for you. And But uh, yeah, this is something that should be really straightforward to do and easy, but the gears can get gummed up. And that's what Capitalize helps with. They help kind of make the transition. And I wrote the review on the site, Matt, because for uh, I, I was able to roll over my wife's, Emily, mm-hmm. her old 401k to an IRA with Fidelity. And they made it just easier than it otherwise would have been. And they just kind of held my hand through the process. Even just, at my, I think one of the best things what they did was they had an online notary. So instead of having to go visit a notary Ooh, in person, that was the best part of it I all. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was like, okay, this saved me time, effort, and annoyance. Uh, so I appreciated that. But yeah, so, so for folks who want to do the rollover and they're trying to figure out, okay, do I, how do I do this? If you want to hit the easy button, capitalize is the way to go. Yeah, which so you talking about the notary makes me think about that's that's totally going to be a 96-year-old Matt side hustle <laughs> is, hey. Online notary? 
or just or is it online or just just hey you want to come and get my stamp show up at this you know this address this time and i will look at your id and watch you sign but by then gpt 28 <laughs> is going to notarize everything for us so <laughs> it'll do it for you the main question here uh, angelique is like when it is that you're going to need access to your retirement funds uh so i'm specifically we're talking about early retirement here and if you're planning to retire before age 59 and a half well converting those dollars into a Roth IRA, that might actually be the best move. Folks that are pursuing FIRE, they set up what's called a Roth conversion ladder, uh, and that is where you convert a set amount of funds, uh, an amount of funds that you want to be able to live off of per year from a 401k to a Roth IRA each and every year. You basically have that mapped out. And the IRS, they categorizes those converted funds as contributions to your Roth IRA. And as most folks know, contributions to Roths can be withdrawn penalty-free. So there you go. Lots more flexibility yeah. when you kind of opt to take that route. Yeah. So the, the only catch, though, is that those funds, they need a season for five years. Uh, but that's one of the ways that folks who are in the FIRE movement, which, by the way, stands for financial independence, retire early. The FIRE movement, that's how those folks are able to access their funds early. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, Matt. But let's say that's not what Angelique's after. Like, it's, it sounds like she's got a combo of retirement dollars, right? That she's Some she's already paid taxes on, some she has not paid taxes on. We're talking about Roth mm-hmm. and traditional dollars. And uh, it sounds like she's got, again, her own business set up. So she's not looking to retire anytime soon. Right. She loves what she does. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm guessing that early retirement is probably not on the radar because, yeah, when you love what you do, when you do your own thing, there you probably want to keep going for a while, right? Yeah, why, why quit? Exactly. I like it. And like we like for folks to have a chunk of money in both those Roth and traditional accounts because it gives a lot more flexibility. People can kind of like choose their own adventure when it comes to taxes in retirement if they have two different buckets to pull from. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's super helpful. But if you've got substantially more traditional dollars, let's say, Angeliki, and you've, and you've got cash on hand to pay the taxes on that Roth conversion, it might just make sense to take that old 401k and turn it into a Roth IRA, maybe even in one fell swoop, but that depends on your current tax bracket, what, how much money we're talking about, what tax bracket that would push you into, you know, because that could mean that some of those converted uh, dollars would be taxed at a higher rate. So without knowing all the specifics, how much money we're talking about, uh, it's hard to give you a complete green light on the, hey, put it all in a Roth at once, because if it pushes a lot of those dollars into some sort of 37% taxation range, that could kind of, I don't know, ruin next April for you. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. I mean, basically what we're talking about here is diversifying the tax liability of your retirement dollars. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one of the ways to completely avoid any tax liability now is to just funnel your traditional dollars within that 401k from your old employer to your solo 401k or your traditional IRA. And then roll the Roth dollars that are in that 401k over to your Roth IRA. Or I think she actually said too that she might have, she has Roth options available within her solo 401k mm-hmm. as well. So Which if that's most people do now, the yeah. option, uh, you can consider that. Because it, like if you take this path, then you're essentially keeping the tax status of your old 401k exactly the same, but you're just basically splitting them out into new accounts. Uh, and it does not change any of the tax liability of those retirement dollars at all. Yep, that's true. So if a full-on Roth conversion doesn't make sense because you don't want to or can't afford necessarily to pay the tax right now, whether those traditional dollars end up in your solo 401k or if you open up a traditional IRA to stick them in there, well, the end game is pretty similar in a lot of ways from a tax standpoint. You've got just got more dollars in pre-tax accounts, which 
is not a bad thing. And, and one other reason, though, to potentially stash that money in your solo 401k, instead of sticking it in the traditional IRA, is a couple of just arcane rules. The rule of 55 being one of those. And normally, you would incur a penalty for taking money out of that account before 59 and a half, like Matt said just a minute ago. But if you opt to leave your job early, even at the business that you are currently running, between ages 55 and 59 and a half, you can take money out of that account penalty free. So mm. it's kind of the, the rule of 55 is one of those things that most people don't know about. It's not super highly publicized, but if you leave your job between the ages of 55 and 59 and a half, you have access. You normally pay that 10% penalty, but no, you, went, you don't have to if you leave during that time period. Yeah, it's like a special early enrollment window or, yeah. or something like like an early trade deadline with sports teams. And, yeah. uh, I don't know, <laughs> something like that. But, uh, but Angeliki, if Capitalize is saying that they can't handle the 401k to the solo 401k rollover, uh, and that's what you want to have happen because of those particular benefits that you would have access to, uh, we would also recommend for you to go ahead and, and handle that rollover yourself. Uh, it's not crazy complicated, and given your involvement thus far, it sounds like you're, you're fairly versed in how it is that these different rollovers work. Capitalize, they make it really easy, but you do have a more nuanced and more complex situation. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't completely handle it on your own. Just yeah. just make sure that you do a, a trustee to trustee transfer as opposed to you having them uh, cut, cut you a check, check yeah, yeah. yeah, where that clock is ticking. And if you don't get that money invested placed within those accounts within a certain period of time, then you get hit with that early withdrawal penalty. You want to absolutely make sure that you avoid doing that. That's basically the worst, just, worst must, thing that could happen. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Oh my gosh. Everything like all, all of these other take it as a disbursement. Exactly. All of these other options are just kind of like icing on the cake. Uh, so just make sure you don't get hit with that. Yeah. And then the only thing you have to really worry about is having to actually go visit a notary in person. <laughs> That's that might be the <laughs> most annoying part of it. But yes, it sounds like you're on the right path. And and yeah, depending on how flexible you want to be with access to those funds and when, uh, hopefully we gave you some ideas to think through. But Matt, let's get to our next question. This one comes from a listener who wants to make sure that his kids are set up for financial success. Hey guys, hope you're doing well. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm from New Jersey. I'm a recent listener to the podcast. I've been tuning in for about the past few months. I love all the information that you share, including the craft beer reviews, and I'm something of a beer guy myself, so thoroughly appreciate that. So anyway, to my question, my wife and I are mid to late 40s. We have a three and a half year old little girl and a soon to be seven year old son and just kind of feel late in getting them rolling as far as long term wealth goes. We have this fear kind of because my wife and I carry significant debt we just don't want this to be their reality when they're our age. So minimal investments for them at this point. But my question is, if there was one account that we were to start for each of them today, what would be the best option in terms of building wealth? It's really overwhelming with, you know, 529 plans, Roth IRA, though I'm leaning towards that. And then there's, you know, Flex accounts where they can learn to spend their own money for purchases. Um, but again, the goal would be generating wealth. Um, so any of those accounts or even just a simple higher yield savings account, like I said, the information can be very overwhelming, but uh, I just want to thank you so much for your time. And again, appreciate all that you guys are doing. Well, Joe, we are glad to have you as a listener. He's been listening for a few months now, I think he said. Yeah. Uh, we're glad you jumped on the how to money bandwagon. It's the yeah. best bandwagon to be on, Matt. <laughs> and OK, let's, he's talking about his kids, right? Your kids are they're crazy young, Joe, and I get your desire to make sure that you're setting them up for future success, but we don't want you to be overwhelmed with all the investing options out there, and we definitely don't want you to beat yourself up. I think just the fact that you're even thinking about their future 
money, their future finances right now at this stage in the game is massive. Mm-hmm. Joe, I guess w- what we're getting at here is that like we do love where your heart is at, but here's the thing. We don't actually want you investing on your kid's behalf, uh, at, at least not yet, because you said that you and your wife, that y'all are carrying some sig- significant debt, right? And if we're talking about bad debt, specifically credit card debt in particular, or honestly, just anything with upper single or certainly in the double digit interest rate range, we want you to be more focused on eradicating that debt before you start investing for your kids. And so there's there's two things at play here. There's the the actual dollars that you're able to put to use, but then there's also the lessons and the habits that you're able to instill into you know, upon your kids. And at least for the time being, I, th- I think that's those are some of the proactive steps you can take with your kids, some of the habits, and even cluing them in a little bit as to what it is that you and your wife are accomplishing with yeah. your personal finances, even- as opposed to keeping them in the dark and then dumping a bunch of money into accounts for them. Like in my mind, that's the kind of the opposite of what you would want to do. Yeah, even though you're not earmarking any dollars for their future yet, not at this point, while you're focused on other kind of personal finance necessities like Matt was just talking about, you can still kind of bring them along for the journey and teach them and help them understand kind of where you guys are headed as a family from uh, money direction. And so it, it doesn't mean that you have to start stocking money away into accounts before you're ready because you have other financial goals to accomplish in order to make sure that you're you're teaching them about money at the same time, right? Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and I think by not focusing on that teaching aspect of it, like that kind of discounts what your kids are going to be capable of, right? Because yeah. right now, all you're thinking about is, you know, essentially your own income and how much disposable income you have and, and what you can do with that when it comes to paying off debts or investing that money. But by... It kind of sounds pithy or whatever, but it's the, the lessons of teach a man how to fish as opposed to giving a man to fish. Yeah. Um, right. And so if you are able to teach him how to fish for over the course of a lifetime, think about all the fish that he's going to be able to catch, yeah. that your son and your daughter, that they're going to be able to work hard and, and take the lessons that they're going to learn from you and your wife. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, probably similar to Joe, because of a sense of obligation and a sense of love, right? A sense of duty to your kids because you brought them into this world, right? And you want to make sure that you're setting them up for success. They start investing for their kids before they've taken kind of the necessary steps to pay down debt and to invest for their own future. Mm-hmm. And so while that love is admirable, don't let it drive you to make financially precarious decisions because there are no scholarships for retirement. And your financial well-being, Joe, the, that of you and your your household as a whole, not just for your kids and their college futures and all that kind of stuff, right? As they become full-grown adults, that's going to mean a lot more than a well-stocked 529 plan. The fact that you have got gotten your own finances in tip-top shape so that they don't have to support you, right, as you're uh, ending your work lifetime. That is more important, I think, than prioritizing their their 529 plans. And it's not that you might not make that a priority in three, four, five years time, depending on how much progress you've made, but it's just not the right move to make right now. Yeah, it's not that saving and investing for your kids is a bad thing, but if you get your financial priorities out of order, well, that can lead you, uh, leave you in a vulnerable financial position. That's what we talked about in a recent episode, 653. Listen back to our money gears. Uh, that is all about getting all of those different financial steps in the right order. 
But Joe, let, let's say you make some progress uh, when it comes to your per- personal finances, right? Like let's say over the coming months uh, or over the next couple of years, you're able to eliminate those high interest rate debts. Uh, let's say you are saving over 15% of your income in tax advantage accounts like a 401k or in your own IRA. Maybe you're even funneling some dollars towards an HSA, the triple or even quadruple tax advantage retirement account. Uh, and then you've got extra money at that point. Well, then uh, that's when you might want to put some money aside for your kid's future. And in that case, the best account for that is a 529 account, uh, largely because of the flexibility that they offer. Uh, If that money isn't needed for college, for higher education, you can then turn that money into Roth IRA money for the long-term future. You mentioned some different spending accounts for them to learn how to handle their money. I think, honestly, a lot of those lessons can be learned just by dealing in cash. The ability for them to have money on hand where it's tangible, where they're able to see that, oh, I earned this actual, you know, this physical, tangible money from doing some chores. I can now, or from setting up a lemonade stand, I can now use that money to buy lemonade from the the next kid in the neighborhood that decides to (laughs) set up their own lemonade stand. Uh, But as far as some of those early financial habits, uh, I think that can be the simplest way. I think there's no need to necessarily complicate it with separate standalone accounts. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think just uh, depending on what age they are and the older they get, you might want to open up a bank account, talk to them about earning interest, and you might want to help them find uh, an account that prioritizes paying a higher rate of interest. But in those early years, the best thing you can do is to kind of help them correlate work and income, right? And so they, they do some entrepreneurial entrepreneurial ventures. Maybe they clean out some of their mm-hmm. old toys and sell them down the street. They make 20 bucks and then they can decide what to do with that. And you help them figure out how to save, give, and spend some of those dollars. Yeah. But I guess really, we don't want you focused on funding those 529 accounts until you're ready. With one minor exception, by the way, we would say open the accounts for each of them with the minimum required to open them, which is typically like 20 to 25 bucks because of a recent rule change. This starts an important clock ticking, the 15 year timeline that you have to meet no, that's right. in order to roll those funds into a Roth in the future. But just because you've opened that 529 account on, on their behalf doesn't mean you should be funding it regularly. So open it up. Don't actually contribute more than you need to. Take care of your own personal finances first, the oxygen mask on your face before you stick it on theirs and keep working towards those important financial goals that you have for yourself before you start taking uh, care of your kids, at least from a monetary perspective. Keep teaching them, but don't necessarily funnel dollars in that direction yet. (laughs) That's right, man. Yeah. All right. We've got a couple more questions to get to, including that, that question from a listener who's wondering if his retirement savings are safe. We'll get to that plus one other right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava 
really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Cachava. Just go to Cachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money i'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans we always like to get the families together matt for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer we've already got that trip to saint simon's on the calendar pumped for that but sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. All right, Matt, we're back. We're going to get to that retirement insurance question in just a second, which I'm sure is on the minds of a lot of people these days. But first, let's get to one from another listener who wants to know about uh, whether he should be treating his personal finances in a more business-like fashion. Hey, gents, this is Matt in Tampa. I work for an IT startup that does business with other businesses. Being in a startup, as you guys know, means that I sometimes have to wear a couple different hats. One of the bigger surprises I've had when working with our clients is having to remind them to pay us. They are routinely 60 to 90 days past due, and that apparently is just how they operate with all of their vendors. That is really foreign to me because in my personal life, I'm used to paying a bill as soon as I receive it. However, the past couple months have been a little more paycheck to paycheck for me. I even thought I was going to have to stop my automatic deposits for my savings and Roth this month just to make due. Until I realized I'd be okay if I waited to pay my credit card bill until the last day that it's due. So, my question is, should I operate my finances a little more like a business and wait to pay bills until the very last day that they are due instead of paying them right when I receive them. Thanks in advance for the advice. All right. Sounds like Matt is wearing the hat of accounts payable at his new startup <laughs> in addition to whatever he was actually hired for. But Matt, we hear you. Businesses often wait to pay invoices until they're like 60, 90 days due. They got that vendor aging report. It can be maddening. Uh, but for you, I think maybe even like setting some payment expectation timelines up front, that could be helpful. Uh, so can automatic invoice reminders, uh, depending on the, the different accounting software you have set up or depending on even there's different uh, business checking accounts that have some of those features built into them as well. But what you're talking about, not you're, you're not talking about business finances here, you're talking about your personal finances. And of course, we want you to continue those automatic contributions to your savings and your Roth. We don't want you to delay or to postpone the amount that you're setting aside for retirement. Those should be top priorities. Granted, 
you've got to pay your rent, you got to buy groceries, and you want to make sure that you're paying that credit card bill on time, but waiting to pay it so that you can continue to save and invest for your future, uh, we think that that's a solid move. Of course, we don't want you to pay late, but as long as you are not racking up any fees or, or any interest because you are still paying on time, of course, I think it's all good. I certainly get the impulse to pay early, or, you know, specifically to pay that bill as soon as you get it, but th there's really no need. And plus, there's just that added bonus of being able to earn a little bit more on the money that you're hanging on to in your checking account. Earn a little bit on that spread. Yeah, I mean, it's not much. Like, I think we're talking like 15, 20 bucks a month, but you take that times 12, that's, you know, that's enough for visiting a nice brewery. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that with interest rates going up, that money on savings, that even if, you know, you got a four or five extra grand because you're waiting to pay your your credit card bill. Well, when we're talking about rates at 4% or, or north of that now, yeah, you're talking about earning some money by delaying paying your credit card bill and not past, of course, the due date, like you said, Matt. Yeah. And you know, once you've gotten some other things in order, by the way, Matt, you might be able to go back to paying your bills earlier in the cycle if that be is important to you. I think you'll figure out that maybe it doesn't matter, especially as long as you've got it automated. Like automate to pay it on the day that the bill is due. That way you don't really have to think about it. But you mentioned that it felt like you were getting close to living paycheck to paycheck there, which, man, I don't like hearing that. That should be even more reason, though, to incentivize savings. So getting to the point where you have three to six months worth of expenses in your high-yield savings account is a really, really important goal to set out. And it allows for you to pay those bills with seasoned money, like money that's been sitting in your account for a while, which you know is crucial so that you're not stressing over payment dates and whether or not you're going to be able to achieve those goals you've got either. I think having the money on hand and building up basically a bulwark of savings behind you, it not only gives you like a whole lot of financial margin, but it gives you just a whole lot of just breathing room. And it's a, it's a massive anxiety and stress reliever at the same time. That's right. Yeah. And Matt, we love the idea of you operating your personal finances in a more business-like manner overall. Businesses, they, they know where their money's going and we want you to do the same. And so make sure that you are funneling your dollars just towards the most important goals first, the, the goals that you have prioritized. Because if you don't have a plan for your business, what it is that you're striving after, what your business goals are, is going to flounder. And similarly, if you don't have a plan for your personal finances, you're likely just going to be barely treading water. Kind of like a company holds a quarterly earnings call, maybe like have an in-depth check-in once a quarter to see how things are going. Uh, you want to ask yourself the question, like, like, am I making progress to the different goals that I've set, you know, set out for myself? Uh, you need to see your own personal finances. Like essentially you're the CFO of your own bank account. Uh, you've got, you know, the, the CFO there at your company and they are the ones there trying to make, make sure that they're achieving all of the different financial goals. That's who, that's the role that you get to play within your own life. Yeah. And if you're like, as an individual, you say, I want more vacation time. We'll go ask the CFO and figure out based <laughs> on the numbers, like, do you have the money? Have you been able to save up? And if not, if you don't have it yet, well, how am I going to get there? Like, how am I actually going to set a plan in motion to make sure that I have the money to uh, pop over to Belgium? or something for a week. Uh, it's going to take intentionality. It's going to take a business-like focus to your finances to make that happen. Totally. But the same thing is true when, it talk, when you talk about getting that breathing room, getting that margin, having more money on hand. It's, you're going to need a plan to get there as well. But uh, yeah, your initial question about kind of uh, waiting to pay that credit card off, why not? Yeah, we're all for it. But then yeah, make sure that you start making progress on some of those other things that are just going to bolster your personal finances, allowing you to make the progress that you want to make.
That's right. But bottom line, we love how it is that you're using credit cards, essentially. Like, we want to make sure that we always touch on this, that you always use your credit cards as if it's like cash. And for that reason, Matt, I love the fact that you are paying those bills off right away. But instead, when those bills show up, go ahead and schedule that payment as soon as you receive that bill. But you can schedule it for, personally, what I do, I always set it for the date before it's actually due, uh, which is typically like two or three weeks away. Uh, And in the meantime, like you said, Joel, you can earn that spread on those limited number of dollars. It's not a lot, but it's something, Joel, is here from a listener, and this is going to be our last question of the day, and he wants to know whether or not his investments are safe. Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Danny from Connecticut. The recent bank failures have got me thinking a lot about IRAs, and especially the banks and brokerage firms that service them. What if Vanguard, Fidelity, or Schwab were to fail? I read that the SIPC provides insurance for these accounts, but only up to a point. Say I've spent my whole working life socking away money in index funds within a 401k, but one day the brokerage firm goes under. All of a sudden, my diversified portfolio looks a lot less diversified. I realize this is yet another good reason to choose different classes of investments and to use both pre-tax and post-tax retirement accounts. But still, isn't that a tremendous vulnerability for owners of higher balance retirement accounts? I know it seems super unlikely that Vanguard or the others will fail, but I just think back to Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers in 2008. Now, in case you were wondering, no, I'm not rushing out to buy gold bricks and bury them in my backyard, but I did recently invest in a juicy double IPA, and I thought of you guys yesterday while I was drinking it. Thanks for being great, and thanks for your response. Ah, Matt, a double IPA, the best investment (laughs) a person can make. Am I right? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I'm actually really picky about what I call an investment. And some people say, (laughs) some people sometimes be like, I just invested in this vehicle or I just invested in a new TV. And I'm like, I just invested in some new shoes. You're using the wrong term, guys. (laughs) But I think we can uh, actually use that. That term does apply to to good beer, right? Because yeah, you're making investment in your joy meter, (laughs) something like that. But we've talked a lot about FDIC insurance over the past couple of months on the show in the wake of the SVB failure and the subsequent banking concerns that have been top of mind. And we've even kind of given our own prescription for FDIC insurance and saying that, man, what if we asked account holders to self-insure, to pay into that insurance bucket if they want more insurance than kind of that base level amount? But we haven't really talked about how your investment dollars are insured. And so, Danny, thanks for this question, man, because I, I think it's going to allow us to do just that. And hopefully it's going to provide a lot of peace of mind for everyone out there who is investing and they're like, they're nervous that maybe there's going to be some sort of collateral damage to brokerage firms based on what's happening in kind of the banking sphere around the country. Yeah, well, and first, let's just hope that none of our favorite discount brokerages fail because we are huge fans, in particular, of uh, Fidelity, Vanguard, and Schwab, Chuck. Uh, but let's say that they did, right? What would happen to the money that you've invested inside of them? Well, Danny, it's important to note that your dollars, your money, is invested in the underlying funds which own stocks and bonds. Uh, and so if the uh, account administrator, right, so Vanguard or Fidelity, uh, if they go bust, your your money's not at risk. The dollars that you have in the funds is safe, obviously not from volatility, uh, but it is safe because you own the assets inside of that fund. You, you own the underlying securities there. Uh, and so just because, for instance, Fidelity, let's say they fail, uh, that doesn't mean that uh, you don't own your shares of Tesla or Google or, or Meta, 
or preferably your total stock market index fund or your S&P uh, index fund, your assets are going to be secure. And they would basically be transferred to another registered brokerage firm in the event that the one that you do do business with, the one that you have an account with, were they to, to go belly up. Yeah. All right. So let's talk. About, that's important to mention, Matt. I think some people think that Vanguard is like holding all of your money. They're choosing what to do with it. But no, that's not exactly how it works. There's a custodian that, that uh, yeah, handles that's that. That's the best word. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you're not invested with Fidelity or you're not investing in Vanguard. You right. are investing in the the funds that they help you to get into. You truly are investing. They're, they're like a matchmaker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you truly are investing in slices and dices of a bunch of different businesses when you buy some of these funds that we talk about, some of the index funds that we talk about on the show. But let's talk about SIPIC, Matt, the Securities Investor Protection Corporation, which is kind of like the investing, the brokerage equivalent of FDIC insurance. And like basically, they would come in and they would take over customer accounts, finding another registered brokerage firm to manage them for the now homeless customers who have lost their favorite brokerage company. I, I prefer orphaned. orphaned. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's probably a better term. Well, and let's dig deeper on SIPIC coverage because how much of your investments are actually insured? That's an important question to answer here too. Not that I think it's going to come to that, but the headline number is $500,000 worth of coverage for cash and securities held with a brokerage firm if they were forced into bankruptcy. But just like FDIC insurance, there's more to the story. We talked about how you can get more FDIC insurance coverage kind of based on the number of accounts, whether or not they're joint in ownership, stuff like that. And and most folks are actually protected to a greater degree. The same is true with SIPC coverage because each account that you have is actually protected with $500,000 worth of coverage. So let's say you have a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, and a 401k all under one brokerage roof. Well, each account comes with that $500,000 umbrella of coverage, which is $1.5 million worth of coverage. Danny, not sure how much money you're rolling with, but that should hopefully put you at ease that even if you've got a decent chunk of money with a company, uh, an individual brokerage firm like Fidelity, Vanguard, or Schwab, like that you're well taken care of, even if you've got more than $500,000 total. And so, yeah, if you've got a spouse with those same accounts as well, like you can multiply that by two. So really there's a whole lot of coverage for people on the SIPC insurance front. Yeah. So Danny, should you actually be worried about this? I certainly get why it's on your radar with all that's been in the news lately, but I wouldn't be freaked out about the possibility that your brokerage firm is going to go bust. We actually have accounts with more than one of these different low cost companies, but it's not even because we're worried about that, you know, like one specific could could fail where, where, you know, our assets would be jeopardized. I've got IRAs with Vanguard, so I've got that money over there, and so does my wife. Uh, but then when we set up the solo 401k uh, for Joel and I here with how to money, it was just easier to do with Fidelity. So we opted for that. And by the way, that also meant we get a little bit of, a little bit of that brokerage diversity. So I guess it's kind of like an added bonus, but it wasn't an intentional move. But if you, you know, if you're feeling a little nervous though, and you're bumping up against some of those insurance limits, some of those upper SIPC limits, you know, why not open another account at one of the other discount brokerages in order to ensure that you you stay within the safety zone? If it helps you sleep better at night, certainly go for it. In particular, I, I feel like a lot of folks have been with Vanguard for years and years. I, they seem like they were able to get out of the gates a little bit earlier, right? A little bit faster, a little bit sooner. 
But that means that you don't have access to those zero fee funds that Fidelity offers. And so I think it's maybe a great time to hop over there and take advantage of some of their offerings as well. Yeah, I mean, they're two of the best. There's a reason we talk about Fidelity and, and Vanguard. Both, both of them are awesome. More than any other ones, <laughs> really. Totally. Uh, and, and, and Schwab, too. That's a that's a great like third horse in the race, right, that you might want to consider. But they all prioritize low fees to a massive extent. But I, I really don't think this is something that you should that you should be worried about, and especially, hopefully, as we explained it, hopefully it just like calms any sort of fears that anybody has out there when it comes to the security of their retirement account, the security of their assets, if they're held in a SIPC insured brokerage. So yeah, make sure you check that. You don't want to be doing business with some fly-by-night company or anything like that. Right. But if you're with one of these insured brokerages, you should have full confidence, right, that those assets are protected. Yeah. but And we're also in favor of you investing in liquid gold, like you mentioned there at the beginning. <laughs> what is that, to... Velveeta cheese? Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Craft beer, son. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> well, weren't those the commercials? They call it liquid gold? I think so. It's just yeah. disgusting. Not but... to be confused with Velveeta cheese. Yeah, I'm no, talking... you should always have a stash of craft beer on hand, which is actually where I got the beer that we drank on today's episode. That's so, right. Which I, is, you gotta keep a little stash in the closet. Heck yeah, yeah. This was supplication, uh, a beer by Russian River. This is a sour ale that was barrel aged f- uh, from nine to fifteen months, and it was aged for even longer than that. They're on your shelf, Joel. What yes, are your was. thoughts? Yeah, it's over sitting over five years in that bottle. While well, I just kind of held on to it, seeing how it's going to evolve. Glad we got to tap it uh, today for the show. And yeah, there's some sweetness from the cherry, some oak from the wine barrels. It's would, just it's right. complex and beautiful in yeah. so many ways. Well, I wanted to interrupt by stop myself there quickly because you said sweetness from the cherries. I feel like I got very little cherry flavor going on. I felt like this was actually a, a pretty dry sour and because I, I don't know, in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, this continues to bottle condition. And if there are still yeasts there in the bottle, sort of gobbling up those sugars and, you know, pooping out alcohol, <laughs> what that tippet, sometimes what that leaves is a drier beer at the, you know, at the end of the day, as opposed to like a sweeter, juicier yeah. version of this, which is kind of impossible to compare, right? Unless you get... I would be interested to try this from one that just got bottled like two weeks ago. Yeah. Or if you could mentally remember what, if say you got two bottles of this and you had one back in 2018 created a scale and wrote down exactly what you thought of the sounds like something you would do I, i would love to do more of that kind of stuff I like taking the scientific approach to my beer drinking. I like to remove all the fun from it, Joel. <laughs> uh, but no, it is really interesting to see how different beers like this evolve there in the bottle. Certainly very much enjoyed this one. Yeah, the oaky flavors that you got out of it was, I mean, second to none. And that's one of the things that Russian River does so well is yeah. just the complexity that they're able to infuse into their beers. It makes this brewery specifically, Russian River, one of the ones I would love to visit oh, in yeah. person. Well, it's one in the of heart of wine days. country. So yes. their beers, it makes sense to stick them in wine barrels and... There's a reason they're ridiculously delicious and they have uh, a storied reputation as one of the best brewers on the West Coast. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, Matt. And by the way, if any of you listeners out there, if you're like, I've got a money question for Matt and Joel, well, we'd love to hear it. Don't forget to go to howtomoney.com slash ask so you can follow those simple instructions to send us your question and hopefully we'll take it on the next Ask HTM episode. That's right. But buddy, that's going to be it. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out.
Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.